All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks over at Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor Game. Again, no comment on my game this week because I, I just forgot to start, but I'll be back with a vengeance next week because Wendy's is letting you and me win real food with your fantasy teams this year and Daily Face-Off. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points on your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouth-watering jaws of defeat along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Face-Off Survivor Fantasy to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Jeff, have you participated in this game at all this year i have not but i'm intrigued now lucky uh, you well that read right there just got me thinking that uh i like to stop by wendy's i know i don't have to stop by wendy's to participate in the game here but uh yeah but you should spicy chicken combo that's right Take that down how come we didn't start with the uh, star spangled banner today <laughs> don't even start don't start my swedes <laughs> fall in the tournament i don't, we're not even gonna start there i refuse to start with heartbreak um on this show and it just I don't know. I, I, so we so were, we're going to talk about the Canucks loss in St. Louis. That's right. Time. That's right. That's way less heartbreaking than watching all three of our boys, our boys over there, Jonathan LeCaramacchi, Tom Willander, and Eli- uh, Elias Pettersson, or Elias, however he wants to pronounce it. He's, have you noticed that it's been changed a few times? Just like I guess it was with the older Elias Pettersson, but yep. I'm hearing Elias, I'm hearing Elias, and I thought it was Elias at, the, at first, and now I don't know what to think. Anyways, hot start to the show today but fine fine we'll start there we'll start at the world junior championship oh, okay. where sweden lost six two to those as i called them yesterday scumbags from the united hey. states they left hunter brustevich lego fan noted lego fan hunter brustevich off of the roster my father scumbags. was born in the states i once oh. tried to take out american citizenship it didn't happen lucky uh, you so there you go i am still a canadian <laughs> through and through uh yeah look Americans were the favorites going into this tournament and they end up capturing gold uh, pulled away in the end. I, it wasn't really a six, two hockey game, but final score is what it is. Uh, three, two after the Johnny bomb there at the end of the second period yeah. and seven goals, tournament MVP uh, name of the all-star team. It really was a terrific event for Jonathan LeCaramacchi. 
and again, this is a guy that's playing professionally over in Sweden yep. as a 19-year-old. Like, he should have had a good tournament, and he did, and good for him. And another big-time goal there that got them within one late in the second period, and you thought maybe uh, there would be a comeback. And it is incredible. Like, when you look at the record of the Swedes, the success that they've had in the preliminary round of the World Juniors, always a contender, and always the bridesmaid as well. Like, yep. they just can't get over the hump. Uh, and they couldn't in front of their home fans today, but uh, the Americans were the better team uh, on balance, certainly in this hockey game. So great individual performance for John Lakaramaki right through the event. But uh, in the end, Team USA skates away with the goal. And that USA team is just, they're very stacked. Yeah. They're, they're a very, very good team through and through. They and were the cocky bunch. Did you see blowing I kisses did. to the crowd? Yeah. Scumbags, <laughs> one might call them. I don't know who might call them that, but I'm just saying. Um, I found it interesting because... I keep harping on this, and Dave Hall wrote about it yesterday over at Canucks Army, but the fact that Jonathan LeCaramacki went from being the 13th forward at last year's tournament for Sweden, and I understand he's a year older. I know he's playing over in Sweden professionally, but hey, he was last year too, albeit uh, in the second division for most of last year. But to go from 13th forward to tournament MVP... I'm trying to think if there's been a player like that in the past that that that's done exactly that. Like, but this is junior hockey. It's the nature of junior hockey, and I had sure. the good fortune of spending five full years calling games up in Kamloops. Like, I watched this where a guy would go home at the end of his 16 year old season as this scrawny rookie, put on 20 pounds over the summer, yeah. come back in his draft year, and absolutely you know, play his way into the first round of the NHL draft. And the same thing would hold with a 17 year old that would go home and come back as an 18 year old yeah. and he'd filled out. So, you know, it's not unprecedented. I don't know. But draft plus one is what we're talking about here, right? Like, right. so I, you're right. Like, off the top of my head, I can't come up with names for you, but I wouldn't be shocked if there had been a guy that, you know, went from basically a fringe player on his team one year to absolutely starring in the show the following year. I just like, the, I mean, the pressure was there. Patrick Alvin's watching yep. the home crowd, like all of that. And the disappointment of last year individually and collectively for the Swedes, for LeCarrie like this was a great, like huge stride over the last 12 months. Yep. So uh, there is some excitement and that, that shot is undeniable. The guy shoots it differently yep. than others in his age group. And he kept putting that on display. Everybody in the tournament knew that he was going to shoot and he kept doing the Ovechkin thing, which is just keep firing and finding the mark and the goal that he scored in the gold medal game again, big time, one timer, uh, just absolutely rips it. He's fearless. I think 34 shots over the course of seven games. So a volume shooter. Uh, he knows where his bread is buttered. You know, is he going to be able to play that way in the NHL? Uh, we'll find out in time, but there's going to have to be some uh, adaptation to the smaller ice and time and space and all those types of things. But in the here and now, this was the game. This was the level that he was playing at. And he looked terrific. The shot. When, like you said, everybody knows it's coming and you're still overpowering goaltenders, you're still overpowering teams and it's still going in. That's where you get into that upper echelon. And again, I know it's junior. I'm not trying to hype the guy up too much, but that's where you talk about guys like Alex Ovechkin, uh, like David Pasternak, right? Like he does yeah. the same thing over in Boston. And again, I know it's junior. We're we're not going to overhype this prospect as as much as we'd like to. No, but, but it it's certainly beats the alternative of, oh, what a disappointment. Didn't score in this tournament yeah. when he was expected to. No, this guy rose to the occasion. And uh, again, I mean, first round NHL pick, like you would have some expectations, but not everybody was the tournament MVP. Not everybody scored seven goals in this tournament. He did. So uh, he can certainly leave the tournament and leave the rink with his head held high. And exactly. It's like I said, it's like I said, like last year, 13th forward, and now he's the tournament MVP. That is a great rise uh, for him. And like you said, he rose to the occasion. Okay, that was our prospects report, uh, which was brought to you by our friends at Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer. There it is, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. No matter what game you're watching, Four Winds Light is there. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, do you want? Yeah, we have to do it. Frank Cervalli is going to join us in about twelve minutes' time, um, but we have to talk about it, Jeff. A two-one loss to mm. the St. Louis Blues. Yeah. I haven't listened to Rinkwide, so admittedly, every take you give is going to be one I hear for the first time. But I, I wonder if you agree with me here because when I was watching that game, I was thinking to myself, the Cubs aren't really playing poorly. Like, if you take the game that they played in St. Louis 
And then you take the game they played against the Ottawa Senators, and now I know they had a 5 nothing lead. But but raw in terms of chances created, and let's be honest, some of those chances that they scored in that Ottawa game were, were pretty lucky bounces. I, I think you take this game they gave St. Louis over the one with the Ottawa Senators, albeit with some more finishing. I hear what you're saying. I, too, didn't think they played poorly. They certainly didn't get run out of the rink. Uh, you know, Brock Besser, 24 goals on the season, has scored from that spot on the ice that he had the opportunity with three minutes, you know, three minutes gone in the third period, would have tied the game at two. I mean, that was the goal they were looking for, and he didn't score this time. Uh, one of the things that I laughed at on Twitter, people were like, well, Karamaki would have scored there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brock knows a thing or two about scoring in the NHL. He didn't pull the... Uh, it, the disappointment was he missed the net. Like, make Bennington make a save, but... I guess you get to that level and you're trying to pick your spots and it's such a, a fine line and he, he missed the target, but Hoaglander moments later had a chance uh, off a little bit of a scramble. Uh, Teddy Bluger off the rush in the yep. third period to go to Joshua. Like there were opportunities and this is a team that when they've been down, the bounces have gone their way. They've manufactured the offense necessary. Hey, it didn't happen for them last night, but uh, yeah, I didn't think they played poorly. Now credit to the St. Louis blues. They've made their coaching change. They seem to have tightened things up. They're playing better. Robert Thomas, is their most dangerous player, and the Canucks kind of let him get away there in the third in a one-all tie. So uh, I'm not going to rip the Canucks, but you know this is three times in eight games now that they've been held to a single goal. You're not going to get the bounces like you did against Ottawa. You're not going to play San Jose like you did that game before Christmas. So when the going's good, sure, the offense flows, but guess what? Minnesota, they make you grind. Yep. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers came in with a game plan and made the Canucks grind. And even last night, well, I didn't think it had a playoff feel. Uh, there wasn't a lot of offense, and the Canucks weren't able to manufacture the goal that they needed to get it to overtime. And that's where the conversation turns to the 39-goal scorer that was a healthy scratch for the fifth time already this season. And we'll get to we'll get to Kuzmenko in a moment. The thing I just want to highlight is, like, the grind it down games, like the mm -hmm. one we saw last night, those are the ones that the Canucks have been dropping this year. Like all of their losses, for the most part, have been those grind you down games. And I think that's where the concern is: is that you know when those games happen a lot, Jeff. Later, the in playoffs, the then into the playoffs, the playoffs. They, they've been held under uh, three goals five times this season. Uh, two nothing loss in Philadelphia, four one loss to Vegas, and then the games that I just referenced: two one shootout loss in Minnesota, four one to the Flyers, two one last night. And so uh, they struggle. Now they beat Dallas two nothing earlier in the year as well. So it's not like they haven't won a couple of low scoring games, but um, you're right. Like look at the opponents. Uh, Philadelphia plays that style under John Tortorella yeah. and they, they scored one goal in two games against the Flyers this year. Vegas came in and, and absolutely fed the Canucks their lunch in late November. So I, I do think that this is still a question that has to be answered about. Can they adapt? Do they have the personnel uh, we know that Rick Tockett wants them to play that kind of robust style that's going to serve them well in the playoffs. But uh, again, you know, you're not going to get 10 like they did in San Jose. You're not going to get eight like they did on opening night against the Edmonton Oilers. You're going to have to find a way to grind. And, you know, in a one goal game, you want to believe that Elias Pettersson can provide some magic. But boy, he didn't have it last night. And again, it's sort of a part of a bigger discussion about. Is it on him to elevate and make the guys around him better? Or are you asking way too much of Elias Pettersson by playing him with an ice-cold Ilya Mikheyev? And I don't think people are talking about this, but uh, he's gone six without a goal, hasn't scored since the deflection goal in Chicago, one goal in his last 10, and he was invisible last night. Yep. And so was Sam Lafferty. And so uh, that line got out shot, I think, 11-4, to four, a one shot yep. on goal from the three of them, and that was Elias Pettersson. It just wasn't happening. And yet Rick Tockett stuck with it. Like I was surprised. All right. I had no problem. Like Lafferty can give you a little juice as Rick Tockett says he didn't last night. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't pin the loss on Sam Lafferty, but I, I was surprised that Tockett. Okay. Lafferty's not going. That line's not going. Why wouldn't you boost Nils Hoaglander and give him an opportunity later in the game at some point? So I don't know. Rick Tockett. It, it was weird. I mean, Tockett's pushed just about every button correctly this year for the Vancouver Canucks. The, Proof is in the record at 24, 11, and 3. I mean, it was their 11th outright loss of the season. Yep. Not going to get freaky about it. But, you know, Connor Garland, without Kuzmenko, Connor Garland goes to power play one. Nikita Zadorov is the net front presence with the goalie pull. Only good thing they did last night. Right, but it just felt like flinging things against the wall time yep. and time again, hoping to find something. And guess what? Those are the Blues. Playing well under their co the new coaching change or whatever. I I'll give them credit. 
but there are way better opponents out yep. there in the NHL. We're going to see a bunch of them here uh, as they move on and move east on this road trip. And so, again, the effort was all right, but clearly all right didn't get it done against St. Louis Blues, and all right won't get it done against the top-end teams in the National Hockey League. You brought up the top six. You brought up Elias Patterson and his line. The thing that I looked at, Jeff, is at the start of the season when Phil DiGiuseppe was playing on, in the top six, we all knew, okay, well, he's not going to be there by the end of the season. Like, this isn't going to last all season long, but hey, what a great story for Phil DiGiuseppe to, that he's there. Similar tone with Sam Lafferty, and we kind of knew that, but now, and, and I think the conversation, at least the ones that Harmon and I were having a lot was, yeah, it's not going to last all season, so they're probably going to have to go out and get somebody. They're probably going to have to go shore up their top six, but let's get there when we get there. I think you're there now. And I think you're there now because when we were having those conversations, Jeff, we weren't thinking that Andre Kuzmenko was going to fall off a cliff and work his way back into the coach's doghouse and be legitimately unplayable under this coach, which is where we're at now. Like he's not playing and it's not to send a message anymore. It's because, hey, I don't trust you when we don't have last change and we're on the road. Like all of his scratches, all five of them have come. Uh, with the Canucks on the road. That was pointed out by uh, Josh Elliott Wolf last night on Twitter. Right, which I think there's two angles to that story. One is the matchup element that uh, he doesn't trust him. I also think to a degree, though, it's easier to scratch him on the road. There wasn't a single member of the independent local media in St. Like, Talking didn't have to answer questions yesterday about scratching Andre Kuzmenko. So you can do that on the road. He knows if he does it at home, that's going to be the first question, whether they win or lose. So... Uh, I, I, you know, don't discount that part of it as well. And I guess for me, the troubling part is the decision to scratch Kuzmenko in and of itself, fine. But you're also choosing then to put Linus Carlson, an AHL call-up, clearly your 13th best forward uh, available to you, to put him in the lineup ahead of Kuzmenko. And then he's out there for what turns out to be the game-winning goal. Like, Kuzmenko can make that defensive play. And he also brings an element of, maybe he generates the offense you need uh, in a tight, low-scoring game like this. The other part, too, is if they got this game to overtime, Linus Carlson's certainly not getting shifts in OT. (laughs) If it goes to a shootout, Linus Carlson, you'd have to go deep uh, before you got to Linus Carlson in the shootout where Kuzmenko could end up being a difference maker. So for all his warts and all the faults, there are still ways that he could impact that game that Linus Carlson couldn't. And I I don't know. I, I just... Where does it go from here? Like, this is now the fifth scratch, as you said. Uh, They've come in pairs earlier, so we'll see if this is going to turn into more than just one game. But it keeps happening, right? Like, so Kuzmenko isn't doing the things that the coaches are looking for. Otherwise, he'd stay in the lineup and he'd keep playing, but he keeps coming out. It can't go on. And I asked the question on Twitter last night, like, if he can't get into game 38 in St. Louis, is he going to play in the playoffs for Rick Tockett? That's a great question. And the answer seems like it might be no. So if that's the case, then move them on. Like, it, 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 this isn't tenable for a team that has so few issues right now. I just feel like this is bubbling beneath the surface. I know they had this big uh, powwow down in Dallas the last time they did a healthy scratch. They thought they had sort of ironed some things out. And here we are again, you know, two games into the new year. And he's a, a healthy scratch for an AHLer who got nine minutes of ice time. Uh, I just, I, I fear that, you know, this is going to become bigger drama as it goes. And then what's the trickle down? Like Elias Pettersson's looking around saying like, I need somebody to play with. And you've got this guy sitting in the press box. Like what's going on here. Uh, I do feel like this has the potential to get a little more disruptive internally than it has to this point. It's officially in distraction territory. Yeah. I think I, no, or I dangerously close. If that, I don't want to be too reactionary here, but it's like I pointed out earlier, this wasn't to send a message. This is because, hey, I don't think you're going to help us win. And this, look, Rick Tockett has received a lot of praise and for very good reason in this market. He's the Jack Adams front runner. He deserves all the praise his way. But this isn't revisionist history when we come out and say things like, yeah, Linus Carlson in the lineup probably didn't make a lot of sense. Like Harmon and I were harping on this yesterday and it's for the reasons you brought up. And look, to their credit, I thought the fourth line played a pretty safe game. But I want to throw on Coach Quad's yeah, cap again. On. They got the winner, they're out there. And, and, and through blown defensive coverage, too. Yeah. Now, and Grady, can we get the video here? And uh, podcast listeners, I apologize for this. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go watch the Robert Thompson. Maybe you remember it. Um, for Kyrie. Jordan Kyrie. 
little wizardry there. Now the pass comes across the center to her. Thomas Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, credit to the NHL and Sportsnet on that. But what I wanted to highlight was the fact that every coach is different. But in my mind, when I'm watching that play, Linus Carlson's technically in the right spot as the weak side winger. But he also needs to make the adjustment because Nils Hugland is trying to adjust for Linus Carlson standing in the same spot. And Linus Carlson needs to make that adjustment. Um, like Nils Amon had two guys. I, I don't really pin that on Nils Amon. Um, at all. And again, I'm not trying to poke blame at Linus Carlson or Niels Huglander. I'm just saying that a reason you're not playing Kuzmenko is because you're worried about plays like that. Well, that play happened and you had no offensive upside on that line. And now I'm picking at Linus Carlson a little bit because you decided to dress an AHL call up ahead of the guy who scored 39 goals last season. That just doesn't make sense to me. So a couple of things. One is that and again, credit to Bannister for recognizing that's the Canucks' fourth line. He gets Robert Thomas out there. They get the mismatch that they're looking for yep. in a one-all tie in the third period. Like, you've got to have a head on a swivel. If Robert Thomas is on the ice, he is the most dangerous St. Louis Blue. And so I'm not ready to absolve Nils Amon. He's the closest guy to him. He kind of does the little stick check. Sure, sure. You know, you've got to do a better job of closing down on him. Uh, I didn't like the zone entry, and that's Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik. And mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes has been all worldy goes to the all-star or gets denied yesterday, but he was on the ice for both of the goals against uh, that doesn't happen that often for him, but the zone entry was so uh, welcoming, if you will, like the defense just backed off, let yep. the blues gain the zone. And that's where the trouble began. Some side to side passing forwards, loser guys. You're right. The two on the one side, and that creates the space in the middle for Robert Thomas. So there were breakdowns there. Rick Tockett talked about, uh, he thought the blues used their weak side. Well, uh, both of their goals come off yep. the rush. And so, you know, are there things to tidy up? Yeah. And I would say that that's something. It's, I, you know, on ice awareness, knowing where the Blues are, trying to create the mismatches, and they were able to do that. And Colton Barranco scores his goal, you know, racing downhill, attacking the net, and Robert Thomas off the rush into the slot. And, uh, man, that was a big-time, big-league shot. And, look, the Canucks wasted a really good goaltending effort, too, by yep. Thatcher Demko. That's another, that's another angle. Yep. Um, and also Grady pointed out in our little private chat here that I should have highlighted it as well. Uh, right before the entry, Linus Carlson was the guy that got passed by rather easily. He's um, not good enough in the neutral zone in terms of pressure. And hey, like, again, I'm not trying to say, oh, Andre Kuzmenko makes that play 10 out of 10. Well, maybe he does make that play, but I no, mean, but he doesn't Kuzmenko, do much better, maybe. But if he makes that play, he's coming out of the line. Exactly. Exactly. Bang on. And we both agree he's getting back in tomorrow in New Jersey. Uh, I... Think so. I mean, the Devils play an up tempo style. I think there'll be some scoring chances. Uh, I'd like to think that again, you send the message, although I'm kind of, but it's not, you're not, not sending. I, yeah. I, I get that, but give the guy an opportunity here yeah. to get back in the lineup. You know, the power play, only the one opportunity last night didn't generate a shot on goal. That's where we talked about Connor Garland. And look, Garland has earned a promotion. I had no issues with that. But on the fly, you're now injecting a guy that we know is sometimes difficult to read off of and you're never sure what he's doing. And there he was hiding in that crouch beside the, I mean, the, the screen grabs are great in isolation. Cause it does, it looks like he's trying to hide behind the, the goalpost. Uh, but almost know, did it too. He almost pulled it off. Well, I know, but it's just, it's a, a different element for Pedersen and Miller yeah. and Besser to read off of in game. Uh, and so say what you will about Kuzmenko. He's been part of a damn successful power play in his year and a half here in Vancouver. And so I, I hope he gets back in uh, because I look at the, the candidates right now to be top six wingers for Elias Pettersson, Ilya McKayev, one goal in 10, Sam Lafferty, one goal in 10, Nils Hoaglander, one goal in 10. He's gone quiet too, after a, a little bit of a run there. And then you get Kuzmenko has four goals in seven and has been a healthy scratch in three of those other games. So just right there, the numbers alone suggest that even if he's not playing well, Kuzmenko still represents the idea of a goal scorer more than some of those other players do. So uh, I'm curious to see uh, what they do. Again, we talked about the fact that uh, independent media are not out there on this leg of the trip. I think some are catching up in the New York area, but the Canucks practiced in New Jersey. Nobody there to document, like, were there new line combinations? Uh, is Carson Susie taking a regular shift? Like, this is where the fans suffer because we're just not getting the information necessary. and. Like it's a big financial undertaking to get out on the road. Trust me. I've been there. I understand that. 
Uh, but I'm not sure the hockey club, like there are people that, and it's not just us in this business, fans want to know. Like this is all the stuff we're talking about is, is Kuzmenko getting back in? Did he have a regular shift at, at practice today? And yet the whole practice took place uh, under the cover of darkness. The Travis Green special. Those are Travis Green's dream practices, right? Yeah. It's the ones that nobody yeah. gets to see. Exactly. And anyways, we, we could tell stories about that uh, for hours. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But we won't because our man, Frank Saravalli, has been patiently waiting for us. Uh, he joins us on this Friday afternoon. Frank, a question that we're going to ask in our anyone else segment and i oh my gosh the usa shirt of course you know we're big sweden guys over here right we're big sweden fans in vancouver you weren't you didn't happen to be in the neighborhood of prudential center this afternoon did you can you you just swing by the rock and get us some line combos it's funny j pat as you said that i was like man i had i known i would have just gone up there today oh yeah well it's only about an hour from my house that always anyways we're not going to start talking about u.s geography because i find it very interesting how you can drive almost how like how far is new york for you sorry now now i'm asking questions well yeah new york city is just on the other side of the rock so 10 minutes from there maybe with traffic probably 25 30 that's but it's like it's three i think it's like three or four miles that's it the hell's a mile yeah that's anyways uh Go USA. <laughs> yeah, yes, go yes. USA. Yes. I thought you were going to blow us kisses. <laughs> uh, Frank, okay, so like I was saying, the conversation that we're having on this show is when will the Canucks make a trade? Because all of the experiments in the top six seem like they've lost their shine. Isn't that just the nature of an 82-game season? I mean, at some point, even the best players, Connor McDavid, Elias Pettersson, whoever it might be, Quinn Hughes, they they hit a rough patch. So if the best players in the world are doing it, then at some point the guys that are a couple notches down are going to fall into the same trap. Um, in terms of experiments, um, I think there's none bigger than you know exactly what's happening right now with Kuzmenko. I, when you look at where the Canucks are at in terms of cap and consequences with that in terms of what other deadline moves they might be able to make. It'd be so nice to have a ready-made solution uh, in-house that you don't have to go out and get, that you could maybe fill another void instead. And so I'd love to see Kuzmenko get another crack at it and see if he can sort of fall in line with what the coaching staff is looking for, because that's been one of the real head scratchers this season is how a player that was that good last year that created that much chemistry and is clearly a successful tool on the power play hasn't been able to get going this year. It's five healthy scratches now before the midway mark. And you just wonder, like the first couple were message sending. Uh, This one, it feels like an exasperated head coach that the message isn't getting through and that he's not liking what he's seeing. And so 
39 goals last year, you know, an absolute heater of a shooting percentage. I think we all thought that there would be some sort of a step back, but for him to now be at eight goals at the midway mark, essentially, uh, you know, a distressed asset, obviously, but do you think there, like, would there be interest in the player? Obviously five and a half, uh, you know, it's not easy to fit under uh, a salary cap for all teams, but what would teams around the NHL, would they see the 39 goal score or are they looking at a guy that right now is having trouble fitting in uh, with a coach in this kind of system? I think they're probably way more likely to see if they're acquiring him, the 39 goal score, at least somewhere in the middle that maybe he doesn't quite get back to the level that he was at last year. Although I wouldn't count it out that maybe he's somewhere in between that he could be a useful tool. And at five and a half million bucks, that's really all you're asking for, isn't it? Like it's not, you know, it's not 11, two, it's not eight, it's five and a half. It's that's kind of what a mid range forward middle six forward should be getting in today's NHL provided that they're able to produce. And I'd love to know really, like I'd love to inject some truth serum into Rick Tockett and, and really get the answer of like, what exactly is it that he's looking for that he's not getting um, so far this year from Kuzmenko? He always talks about, you know, the plays at both blue lines and not hustling back uh, enough and not getting in on the four check, but it really seems to be, sort of the high danger spinorama stuff at the blue line, turning pucks over. That's what he has repeatedly talked about when people have asked him. Uh, you'd think that a player at some point, you could get that out of your game. Cause pocket said like two weeks ago, he said like, if you're one-on-one -on -one with a guy, you know, you want to do your spinorama there down low in the offensive zone. I think he said, have a party it was the line that he <laughs> used. Uh, but he's seeing too much of that in the neutral zone and at the blue line and pucks are being turned over and going the other way. So I do think that some of this has to be on Kuzmenko and it can't be lost in translation. They've got other Russians in the locker room. They've got Sergei Gonchar on the staff. So it's not about the message getting through. It kind of feels now like a battle of wills between the player and the coach. And that rarely, rarely works out well for the player. Yeah, it never ends well. Uh, but here's the thing I'll say. And Look, full marks to Rick Tockett for what he's done this year, the structure that they've put in place, uh, the way that this team has played and has been consistently good almost the entire season. Uh, a lot of that, when you talk to the Canucks front office, they give that credit to the coach. But to me, this the way that Kuzmenko you know, is right now, the spot that he's in, to me is a failure more on the coaching staff than it is the player. And the reason for that is, you have to be able to bend a little bit. And that works both ways. Kuzmenko has to be able to bend a little bit, but same thing with Rick Tockett. And as a coach, I, you know, I think about this a lot. It's not nearly on the same scale, but when I'm when I coach, I, I feel like I judge myself based on the strides that the players at the bottom of my lineup make over the course of a season. And you have to harness what the player does really exceptionally well. And for Kuzmenko, that's being a productive, creative, offensive player. And you have to find a way to not choke that out. And to his point, he said, offensive zone, go have a party. But you have to be willing to take some of the flaws that a player has and be able to work with them. And I don't know that five healthy scratches through the first 40 games of the year is something that makes a lot of sense for someone that is really obviously talented and, and still has some term. It's not like, you know, they can just kind of dispatch him at the end of this year. He's not going anywhere unless you find a way to trade him at this deadline. And in some ways I feel like based on the way he played last year, it might be selling at his lowest value point. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. Like there's talk of selling him at the last deadline. Think of the cap hit he was on last year when he was on pace to score 40 goals at that point. And Frank, that point you just brought up, I find it really interesting because it's something I've tried to give a lot of thought to. And I look back at what we've seen with like, you know, Dakota Joshua, Nils Hoaglander. And the thing that Rick Tockett always says when he speaks about these kind of players and you know the situations surrounding them is meet me in the middle. That's what he likes to say is meet me in the middle. I'll do this. You do this. I, and, and Jeff, I guess this is a question for you as well that we can kind of all three of us talk about is. What does meeting Andre Kuzmenko in the middle really look like? Because Tockett has his non-negotiables, Frank. Like when he got hired here, he said, I have the non-negotiables. And um, for guys like JT Miller, for example, JT Miller was somebody that had to start respecting those non-negotiables about back-checking, hustling to the bench for changes, all that sort of stuff. So we know Rick Tockett's not going to give on any of his non-negotiables. But I mean, Jeff, I'll ask you and Frank, you, you as well chime in. But like, 
What does it look like for Rick Tockett to meet Andre Kuzmenko in the middle? I think Frank mentioned the fact that there has to be some flexibility here, that it's not equal across the board for everybody. I think you have to work with players, find their strengths, try to eliminate some of their weaknesses. And for Kuzmenko, obviously, uh, there are still questions about the forecheck. And I thought Tockett's been so good in terms of explaining his thought process. And he went deep a couple of weeks back, too, when he said that one of the problems with Kuzmenko is when they need him to be the first guy in on the forecheck, he's so reluctant, and that is causing issues for the second guy because he doesn't know where Kuzmenko is going to be on the ice. And, you know, they've got structure. They, they've got places that they're supposed to be based on the reads that they're making. And so I just thought, okay, I mean, that's a great explanation that, you know, people can say, oh, he's not backchecking, but what are the issues on the forecheck? Well, it's not just that he's not getting on his horse and getting in. He's not a physical guy. I think he has two hits on the season. But you can still positionally forecheck and angle guys and force them into places they don't want to be but if you're reluctant, then the trickle down is your teammates don't know where to go and everything kind of gets out of whack there. So uh, I do think that, you know, Rick Tockett's got to, again, work with this player. I think they've done some of that. But if it's the fact that the things that they're trying to get out of his game aren't coming out of his game, you know, I said last night, Frank, if he can't play in game 38 in St. Louis, like what are the chances that he's going to be able to play and play effectively in Tockett's system in the playoffs and the Canucks are headed to the playoffs. So I do think it's time to start looking at some of these things through a playoff prism. I just don't, I don't think you're ever going to eliminate some of those things. You can try and work with a player. The thing is you have to be willing to accept or not. And if you're not, then you have to, you have to cut bait. That's really the thing. Hmm. At this age, Kuzmenko as a player is what he is. He's probably not changing a whole heck of a lot. He could do some little things differently and maybe try to get closer to meeting Tockett in the middle, but you are what you are most of the time. That's really interesting. And again, we just keep coming back to the timeline, right? Like Rick Tockett coached Kuzmenko for one game before that extension. And uh, Don Taylor was pointing this out on Donnie and Dolly this morning. That game was the game where Kuzmenko scored two goals in (laughs) Chicago and was player of the game. So if Rick Tockett's asked the next day, Hey, what do you think? We're thinking of extending this guy. Yeah, for sure. Do it. Nothing anybody did against Chicago last year should have been used as <laughs> any sort of barometer. Uh, I think I scored three goals against the Blackhawks last season, if I'm not mistaken. Not, not only that, but these extensions don't come together that quickly. It was probably weeks in the making before Tockett was even there, and it was long since done by the time he arrived. I just, and that's another thing. And I mean, again, truth. That's here. been the that's been the mo of the Canucks front office, though, is doing things out of order at times that has really, I think, hurt their process over the last five years. What are some other examples of that that you'd point to? The fact that Francesco Aquilini hired Bruce Boudreaux before hiring the GM and president of Hockey Ops. I mean, it set them back a year and a half. Yeah, but they're heading down that road again, you know, trying to make organizational, big picture organizational decisions without Elias Pettersson you know, locked Mm. and loaded here. Like they're going to have to make decisions ahead of the trade deadline on players. Uh, You know, Philip Ronick's going to get like in a perfect world, you'd get Pedersen done. You'd have a Ronick and you'd know exactly where all those are slotted. And yet they're going to have to uh, make some big time decisions with the uncertainty of, uh, of the financials on some of those key contracts. I'm not entirely sold that that is all going to come to pass. Like I, I, I'm not making any projections or predictions, but I wouldn't be shocked if they could, really push to get Pedersen done before the deadline. It would certainly make life easier on a, on a couple of fronts. It would give them certainty. They'd know that their star player was here and going to be here for, for a while um, because they do have some decisions. They got so many unrestricted free agents or pending UFAs that they're not all coming back, but they do think they have some that they, you know, want to re up, but you know, every dollar matters in the cap, even with the cap going up, but you got the OEL, uh contract on the books here and so uh yeah we'll see where all of that go but i mean that would be that's best case scenario for them and i know that uh sort of the same hope with nylander in toronto that uh the all-star game kind of feels like it you know it's an artificial deadline but it also feels like well, yeah it's there we're now within a month of it and you know somebody made the great point yesterday like i don't know if elias patterson is going to go to the all-star game they've got so many candidates and it's a numbers game but uh can you imagine him frank uh sitting there front and center on media day <laughs> just like bombarded with questions about his contract. Like he doesn't want any part of that. Yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Frank, just before we close out here, I want to ask you this question because like, again, I know off the top, I asked you, when will the Canucks make a trade? 
And that's kind of the topic we're focusing on. There's so many factors. There's the fact that the Canucks have built themselves a cushion that they don't need to make any sort of panic move, whether we want them to or not. Um, they don't need to make a trade immediately, but with Jim Rutherford teams of the past and hell, even Jim Rutherford Canucks teams, like they traded Bo Horvat before the All-Star break last year. Do you expect the Canucks, and hey, one of one of the factors that might suggest that they're going to wait a bit is the Elias Patterson contract extension. Do you expect them to be active long before the deadline like we've seen Jim Rutherford teams in years past do? Or do you think we're going to see more action on deadline day and in the days leading right up to the deadline? I think they're going to try and be more active ahead of time. I think part of the issue is, and I was talking about this with an NHL player yesterday who goes, I don't I don't really understand this league. He's The way he explained it, he said, there's 22 good teams there's five god-awful teams and five elite teams. And he said the 22 that are in that mix are not really entirely crystallized, some more than others, but aren't really crystallized in terms of which way they're thinking, which way they're heading. And this is a player that actually wants to try and get moved. And he was saying, I'm having a hard time getting out of here because the response from a bunch of teams that may potentially could be interested in me well, they just don't know exactly yet what their posture is when it comes to the trade deadline. I think that's part of it um, has been a big sort of, you know, wrench in some teams' plans of, you know, what's going on with Pittsburgh and Washington and what happens with some of the teams that are in the murky middle in the West, the Nashvilles, the St. Louis's, that group that could kind of maybe be playoff teams, but are also, you know, have the real potential to be passed by Edmonton and Minnesota or maybe even in Arizona, for instance. So, look, it's it, that part has been tough to sort out. Here's what I'll say, and you guys are way more interested in the, at least quads, you are, the timeline. I'm not so much interested in the timeline in Vancouver, more so the fit, because to me, that's been the one hallmark in Jim Rutherford's career. Well, there's actually two when it comes to trades. One is when he has made a mistake or there's been a mistake on his roster or something that he can't live with, he's really good at cutting bait. He doesn't, there's no emotion involved. It's just like, Hey, we got to make a move. We got to get this guy out of here. Can't have this linger. And so you've gotten a slight taste of that with like the Tanner Pearson trade, or maybe even the Dickinson trade. And he's been able to just say, you know what, this might suck in the meantime, but we have to do this. So that's one. And the second one, which I think is way more fun to think about, is he seems to have the golden touch when it comes to taking a really good team and adding some completing or finishing pieces, complementary pieces, if you will, to it. And I think back to the number of deadlines that he had, not just in Pittsburgh, but also in Carolina, that um, he just he found something, someone that that put those teams over the top. Trevor Daly on the back end. Uh, Ron Hainsey, like just guys that even at the time I was like, Trevor Daly, he looks half dead. Were you watching him in Chicago? <laughs> like I was like, I can't believe that they think that's the guy to go out and get. And he comes in and he's outstanding for the Penguins and becomes a guy that's immensely uh, popular among his teammates. And and Hainsey comes in and, and he was great. So like you, you think of those guys that that Rutherford's been able to add. And I'm like, that's that's what he's really good at. I don't know that it's necessarily building from scratch, but the nice thing in Van is he didn't really have to do that. There were some pieces there. Working alongside Patrick Alvini, he's had to cut out a bunch, some bad contracts and some leftover things from the Benning era. But by and large, that's where he's you know made his pile of money and, and Stanley Cup rings is right around the trade deadline trying to find fits. Yeah, and I mean, you look at that Hurricanes team, right? Like, that's the one that I think we're going to focus on a lot um, when they went out and got uh, Doug Wade, especially. Like, that was early, too. Like, that was early, and that's kind of going to be the focus of uh, or anyone else, like, which I can't wait to get to because I want them to make a trade tomorrow, Frank. Uh, Frank, not, let, me, let me tell you this, yeah, Quads. Yeah. It's not all about you. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> the millennials. The millennials. I'm not even a millennial. I'm Gen Z. Gen you are Z. Gen Even Z. worse. I'm going to say <laughs> Frank, thanks so much for doing this. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks so I, much. I am the silver-haired millennial. <laughs> and the go. gold medal world junior. Winner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. Guys. All right, See Frank. Ya. There he is. Frank Saravalli. Or as we affectionately call No, I'm not going to call him. <laughs> you don't like his nickname either, do you? The nicknames we've thrown out for Frank? Have you heard them? 
No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, really? No. No, oh, because he told Matt about them. Matt Sakaris and Blake Price. Uh, yeah, Matt I've heard of them. Yeah, you've heard yeah. of them. They were, having a, they were having a laugh at my expense about my nicknames for Frank. They didn't like, they, none of them liked the nickname apparently. But anyways, I'll tell you it off air because I don't think Frank likes it either. Yeah. Uh, but yes, our thanks to Frank Sarali for joining us. And with that, let's get to our Anyone Else segment presented by DoorDash. It's time for Anyone Else presented by our friends at DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada, subject to change, terms do apply. Okay. Uh, do we have anyone, any, any anyone else's in the chat yet, Grady? Because uh, I feel like we waited a bit to tell people we were going to do it but people people should know by now so people get your anyone else's they start their weekend early yeah i know uh we've got a lot of people in the chat too so we need a lot of people to uh participate here get your anyone else's in i'll start i'll start here um because it's the one that obviously i really really want to talk about is when are the vancouver canucks going to make a trade there's a lot that i think goes into this jeff um I said it earlier that the top six experiment with these bonafide bottom six players like Sam Lafferty, like Phil DiGiuseppe, that needs to end. Um, I, I would say that you could have waited even longer to make a trade if Kuzmenko didn't fall off a cliff like he has this year. And I know I brought that up earlier, but I think now it's just put a spotlight on the fact that Elise Pedersen needs help. Like he needs help on his line. And I don't think that's too much to ask for him to get a winger that can at least or has at least a history of playing in an NHL, even middle six role, like third line. If you get a third liner for Elias Patterson, it's still better than what they're trying to put with him right now. All right. I'm going to echo Frank, though. It's not all about you, Dave. Uh, as much as you want the Canucks to make a trade, it takes two teams. There has to be a motivated seller. The Canucks are buyers, obviously, or we think that they're going to be. They've already made one trade for Zadorov. And now it does put the spotlight on what's up front. And I know that uh, Tyson Cole's written a piece at Canucks Army mm-hmm. about uh, five on five play for Elias Pettersson. Just in terms of counting stats, like we're into January now. I think some people maybe have forgotten how good his start to the season was. He had 24 points in the first 13 games. He's got 21 points in his last 25. Not even a point a game guy. Now, yeah, 21 and 25 is not terrible, but. This is a guy that had 102 points last year. Uh, His production has dropped. Some of that's the power play has uh, gone a little funky here for the last little while. But also uh, when I rattled off the numbers of McKay, Evan Lafferty, like the guys around him just aren't scoring. So it's hard to pick up points when others aren't doing their part. But back to the trading bit here, I I think it's sort of along, like as much as you you want it to happen now, and maybe the Canucks want it to happen now to Frank's point about the mushy middle, like, you know, let's use Elias or Elias Lindholm as an example because you certainly have enough on this program. Like, if you're the Calgary Flames, I think you've won three in a row now. Like, are you in the playoff hunt or are you out? And I think there are a bunch of teams in that sort of predicament right now that maybe they're not ready to play. Let's make a deal that it may have to wait if you're the Vancouver Canucks. So you have needs and you have wants if you're the Vancouver Canucks, but it takes two teams here to make the deal. You don't want to overpay. Like, obviously, if the Canucks back the Brinks truck up and offer a first rounder or Karamaki and plus and plus like, you know, you can get to a point that sure you're going to get other teams interest, but there's also some fiscal responsibility required here. So I don't think the Canucks are going to go wild uh, overpaying to make a trade. So I do think that sometimes these things take a little bit longer and even the Horvat deal, you know, it happened at the all-star break last year, which was, I think it was February 2nd, actually the day of the trade so, I mean, we're still four weeks away from that happening. As much as Jim Rutherford loves to get out in front, and I looked it up today, the Doug Waite trade in 06, and like we're going back almost 20 years now. Um, but Doug Waite was acquired on Jan 30th, so the last week of January, not the first week of January. And then they added Mark Recchi at the deadline that year as well. So two veteran pieces, uh, proven scores, and, you know, you go back through history, Frank mentioned Trevor Daly and Ron Hainsey. You know, they went out and they got Carl Hagelin as well in Pittsburgh, and he was a piece of those uh, Stanley Cup teams. So it's not just one or two. There is a history here with Jim Rutherford, but it's not necessarily the first week of January. So I do think you're going to have to, 
be a little bit, a little bit patient at the very least. Yeah, it's not happening yet. It's not happening yet. But I also, and again, as much as I want them to make a trade, the thing that I've been thinking about is, yeah, you know what? Their start really affords them the ability to not rush to make a move. And I know mm-hmm. we talk about setting the market and Jim Rutherford loves to do that, but like they can afford to wait a little bit. It's not going to, it's it, again, like, well, they can and they can't because what we touched on earlier, like how much more of this Kuzmenko drama can you handle? Can I handle? Can they sure. as an organization? And again, if it does filter into the locker room, if, if the players are wondering what's going on and they mm-hmm. lose a bunch of games where they only score one goal, like I do think it has the potential to be more of a black cloud over the organization and inside that locker room. I don't think it's there yet, but uh, you know, so they can be patient because of their standings their place in the standings. But again, they've been drama free for the most part this Mm -hmm. season. I don't think they want this to take on a life of its own. And uh, back to Frank's point about Rutherford being pretty decisive when he senses that something's not working and Tanner Pierce is a great example in Pittsburgh. They brought Tanner Pearson in. It didn't happen for gone, you know, like, yep. and there were other players. I mean, they got good Branson and they turned around and they traded him. Um, I don't think that they're going to let this Kuzmenko thing sort of seep to the point that it really does harm the hockey club. But again, just the fact that he doesn't seem to be learning. Uh, I'm with you that the one last night just didn't feel like a, a message sending thing. It, it kind of has taken on a, a different feel now Mm -hmm. and one that i don't think is healthy for anybody the player or the hockey club yeah and that's all it comes down to right is that you're gonna have to find a resolution at some point it doesn't seem like at this stage maybe a month ago we were talking about well maybe the resolution is because manko gets it you've had your meeting in dallas you've had that with the player i don't want to come out and say it's over and just also, someone pointed out, I used the wrong word. I meant reactive. Be too reactive to the recent events. But it feels like it's almost over, right? Like, it feels like you need to come to some sort of resolution, and that that resolution is going to be moving on from this player. So, uh, this is all hypothetical, no reporting whatsoever, but the name has been out there. He was here in town. He scored uh, a couple against the Canucks the other night. Vladimir Tarasenko, proven goal scorer. But if Rick Tockett has issues with Andre Kuzmenko, is Vladimir Tarasenko going to do the things, the staples, the non-negotiable? Exactly. <laughs> you know, and so are you, and again, it's just one player and it's a complete hypothetical, but I think that's also has to be taken into account is if you could find a taker for Kuzmenko with his price point, okay, there's your opportunity. You create, you, you free up some cap space. How do you use it? But I do think it's about bringing in the right kind of player that Rick Tockett's going to value. Rick Tockett's going to play. Like, I've heard the name Lawson Krause a fair bit, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I'm trying to figure out. He's got 16 goals in Arizona. He played for Tockett in Arizona. You know, 6'4", 215, way more the profile of the kind of player. But he's in the second year of a five-year contract. Like and Now, with Arizona, you always wonder, do they want to move off yeah. long-term contracts? Quite possibly. But otherwise, like, they're having a decent season. I think they're knocking on the door of being a wildcard yep. team. The idea of them trading a 16 goal score at this point for Kuzma. Like, I, I don't see that happening. Like I think the Canucks probably would have to uh, somehow sweeten that deal, but Arizona's in that business of taking on contracts and taking on draft picks and those types of things. So uh, I don't know, maybe it's just wishful thinking when people are starting now to handpick names, but to me, Lawson Krause, a guy with a history with Rick Tockett, with a, a profile, a size and a, a frame of the kind of player that I think Tockett would value. I don't know. I mean, maybe there is uh, some smoke there, and we'll see ultimately if there is uh, a little bit of fire. I'm throwing Phil Kessel out there. Phil Kessel, I hear he's been staying active. Cut down on the hot dogs. And, you know, a history with Tockett from Pittsburgh, but it doesn't necessarily strike me as uh, a Rick Tockett kind of player uh, with the things that he's asking of his players here in Vancouver. That's fair. Yeah, you're right. But, but, but. There'd be no acquisition cost. Well, that and Rick Talk has harnessed this player before for good, and and you have the to Kessel think, whisperer. Yeah, you have to think that Phil Kessel's a better option in the top six, yes, or specifically on Pedersen's he line. Some goals in this league, right? I don't know. Anyways, I'd love to see it. Okay, um, again, I'm very impatient, is what people are starting to realize. <laughs> I'm very impatient. Give me good hockey. Give it to me right now. Um, okay, let's get to a lot of the ones that we got in the chat here. Uh, because this is a good one. I really like this. Uh, 
Corey Anderson brought up the idea of the lotto line, and he kind of said, like, why doesn't Tockett uh, go to the lotto line? Why doesn't he mix up the lines? Tockett has gone to the lotto line before. I was waiting for it last night. Like, last night, it felt like, okay, here's your chance. Nobody's doing anything at 5-on-5 except for your third line. You don't want to mix up the third line, so get the lotto line together. Like, whisper in Brock Bester's ear, hey, get get right to the front of the net. Go to where you've had so much success this year. Like, I, I would have thought that'd be a good idea. And someone else actually, I thought Loki Pia Suter actually had a nice night last night on the wing with yes. JT Miller and, and Bessery had four shots. Uh, uh, again, it, the hockey IQ is just there every shift. You see him uh, positionally, like he's not a big body, he's not, uh, you know, driving guys into row five physically, but he gets in, uh, uses his body well, shields the puck. Uh, and, and I thought he had a nice night. Third line scored, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and had some opportunities in that third period. It was just that. Lafferty, Mikhaev, Pedersen just did not have it. And so I didn't know why Tockett wouldn't go away from that. Yeah, you know, the idea of loading up with Miller and Besser, I think at times, and you're right, he has done it in-game on occasion, mm-hmm. but he certainly hasn't started a game that way. Uh, somebody would have to sit Rick down and explain Lotto Line because I don't <laughs> think that that's a nickname that he's familiar. It precedes him here in Vancouver. Uh, so it, to him, it would just be loading up with three of his best offensive players. You know, does it soften the rest of the lineup? Absolutely, it does. But maybe the benefits are uh, with that line and that third line, the way it's going, like maybe there's enough there uh, to get you through in a game where you didn't need four goals. You just needed one more to get it to overtime, take your chances. And again, and this goes for most opponents. Like the Canucks have so much top-end talent. If you can get a game to overtime, I like their chances, even though the record in OT isn't great this year. But you know, after Thomas and Cairo, like who are the blues putting out there and the Canucks can come at you and Quinn Hughes can essentially play the full five minutes of overtime. Uh, yeah. It was just about getting that one goal. They needed to get it to OT and they just, they couldn't find it. last. Night. We had a few people in the YouTube live chat, bringing up the idea of putting Pia Suter as the second line center. And there was this lineup uh, provided by Steve Bodie on Twitter body, however you pronounce it. Sorry, Steve. Um, and I, I found it interesting because he has the lotto line as your first line. He's Kuzmenko with Pia Suter and Ilya Mikheyev as your second line. And then obviously we can all guess who's on the third line. And then your fourth line is Niels Huglander, Niels Amon, and Sam Lafferty. And honestly, if you wanted, I, I think you could put Niels Huglander on the Suter, uh, Suter Mikheyev line. And in terms of minutes played, like, I don't know, maybe that Bluger Garland Joshua line starts to get the second line matchup. Well, I was going to say, like, at some point here, if you're going to run out Suter Mikheyev, and I yeah. have no, no issues with the way you've laid that out, but like at some point, we're going to have to move the third line higher on a written depth chart <laughs> yep. because right now I would take Bluger Garland Joshua over Suter McKay of Kuzmenko. Uh, but let me go down this road briefly. And that is we saw Connor Garland get elevated to power play one. That line has been in lockstep. They score the only goal last night. They've been feeling it for uh, 10 games, 12 games now. And it's nothing special in anything that they do other than hard work, but the chemistry is what's special right now. That's their secret sauce. They're reading off each other. But could Nils Hoaglander give you what Connor Garland is giving you on that line? Hear me out. And the way that Garland has played, could he not move higher in the lineup? At some point here, driving play, spending time in the offensive zone, winning battles, and he is a 20-goal scorer in the mm-hmm. National Hockey League. It feels like Tockett is reluctant to break up that line, and I get it, but Nils Hoaglander profiles a lot along the lines of Connor Garland in the engine's always going. Uh, There's enough offense there if you get him in a creative situation. So uh, I suppose it's a cost-benefit analysis that's required here of moving Garland off a line that is absolutely going, but trying to replace Garland with another Garland so that the original Garland can go up and play higher in the lineup. I, I, I have to disagree there because Garland is just, he is the engine of that line. And it's the one thing that's really going for this team right now. And 
I'm not certain based on past history that if you move Connor Garland up to the top six, no matter how well he's playing on this line that he's on right now, that that's going to translate with Elias Patterson, JT Miller. It definitely hasn't at any point during his Canucks tenure yet, like maybe for two or three game stretches, but then it quickly fades away. You've got this going for you. I don't think you can move off from it, but I really like the idea that Steve brought up of reuniting the lotto line. Obviously keep that third line together, but yeah, maybe they flip two and three. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't hate that. Okay. uh, This one from Nick P. Do you think McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, Pasternak, who are Pedersen's apparent salary comparables, uh, maybe he's a oh, I like tier those. below I those. I thought those were suggested options for, for Pedersen. <laughs> uh, do you Any think they, those guys would be producing better or worse than EP40 with the same line mates EP40 has had? It's an interesting question to some extent, but I also think it's not a direct comparable because those guys are, all the guys you've listed are in the tier above Elias Pedersen. Do I think William Nylander, who's about to sign for like 11.5 for on a long-term deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs, do I think he would have success if he was playing with Sam Lafferty? I don't know. Probably not. Like, I, I don't think so. I don't think it would be... I don't think you'd have the same... I think EP40 is doing fine with what he's being given right now in terms of line mates, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I do think that you have to come back to Elias Pedersen. I, I, I don't think he's been the dominant two-way force that he has been in other seasons. Uh, and so I, I think there has been a little bit of slippage in his play. How much of that is on him? How much it is, is a, you know, uh, circumstance uh, factors around him, the wingers like Ilya Mikheyev should never be the next guy. Like when we talk about duos, Ilya Mikheyev should be the supportive third member of any line. And right now with this whole Kuzmenko conundrum, if you will, you know, you're forcing Mikheyev, to be a secondary kind of wingman and then Lafferty on that line. And it just wasn't happening. But uh, again, I think if you back out a little bit, mccabe has got ice cold here. Like he, he's not, mm-hmm. he's just not a factor, certainly not in the offensive zone. And so, yeah, that's asking an awful lot of Elias Pettersson to do the heavy lifting. People say, Hey, wants 12 million bucks. He should be able to make the guys around him better. But I think there are limits to uh, what you can ask of a guy realistically. And so, uh, this is where, to your point off the top, at the start of the season, when Phil DiGiuseppe made this team in the top six and good on him, we said that that's not going to last. But we all assumed that Kuzmenko would last, yep. even if there was a drop in his production. Well, now you take Kuzmenko out of there, DiGiuseppe's hurt. And so all of a sudden, you know, this is a team that we said probably needed a top six winger at the start of the year. And here they are. And the other part is people will say, what are you guys talking about? They're the highest scoring team in the NHL, but you know, you're not going to get 10 every night against San Jose. You're not going to get eight like they did on opening night against Edmonton. And those two games alone make up a big chunk of why they have the best goal differential in the national hockey league. We're starting to see here three of their last eight games. They've been held to a single goal. And on those three occasions against the wild, the flyers and last night against St. Louis, the Bluger line the only one that scored. So yes. they're finding ways to generate offense in those games where the other lines aren't. Uh, again, Brock Besser had the chance. If he pulls the trigger, maybe it's a different story and a different theme to this show today, but he didn't. And they came up a goal short last night. Uh, so final question. Is it time to reunite the lotto line? I say yes. Uh, I'm willing to give it a shot because what I saw last night, I didn't like, uh, you know, sort of across the board. It's time to get Kuzmenko back in there. Uh, and to play him higher in the lineup, like getting him in the lineup, but playing him on the fourth line to me serves no purpose. Like Nils Amon is not a playmaker. Uh, it's unlikely that those guys are somehow going to find magic. I think you live with his warts. You give him an opportunity. Uh, you continue to work with him on the practice days. But, you know, if there's a turnover, it's not the end of the world because he still represents the idea of offense. And if he can unlock a little more offense with Elias Pettersson, then, you know, that's good for the hockey club as well. So, uh, I, I'd be down to see the lotto line uh, again. I, I think they're going to need some goals in Jersey. I think now Jersey gives up goals as well, but I expect, I don't know if it'll be six, five, like it was here uh, in the first use bowl, but I do anticipate that there's going to be some, some goals in this game in New Jersey. And we should mention, by the way, uh, yeah, it's a seven game road trip for the Canucks, but the Canucks are getting the devils back to back. They're playing tonight against Chicago. Uh, so Quinn Hughes can go and watch Connor Bedard and his brothers in person if he wants to, and probably will. I don't know if any of his teammates would go. Uh, the alternative is a night off in Manhattan. So they have to weigh the uh, uh, the options there. But 
you know, the Canucks are getting the Devils on the back half of back-to-backs and the Devils have had goaltending issues. They'll probably see the Devils second stringer who might actually be their third stringer. So, uh, you know, let's see where it goes, but they do catch a break with the Devils team that's playing back-to-back here. Yep. They do. Let's see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Speaking. Oh, actually, I didn't do that game. <laughs> I thought about doing that game, but I did a different game. Let's get to our Betway bet of the day, Brady. Let's bring it up. Jeff, are you aware that I'm the biggest Anaheim Ducks fan in Vancouver? Uh, I know you like Frank Petrano, and in fact, you've uh, tried to broker a deal to get him here, haven't That's you? That's right. Yeah. Lucas Dostal. Big fan, big Dostal guy. Uh, uh, so was the Toronto Sun, by the way. Uh, don't I, we I, we ripped them yesterday, and Good. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Uh, <laughs> this is our betway bet of the day. It is the Anaheim Ducks who were heavy underdogs Ooh. tonight against those Winnipeg Jets to beat those Winnipeg Jets plus one sixty odds. A ten dollar bet will return you twenty six dollars over on bet. We must be nice plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. They got the Jets back to back. Jets were in San Jose last mm-hmm. night. Uh, so they're going to see Jets back up, Lauren Fossois. But have you seen, nobody's talking about the Winnipeg Jets. They should be. 26 games now without surrendering more than three goals. Like They give up nothing. And Anaheim, I think, has one win in its last 10. Uh, I hear you looking for some value there, the long shot. But I think the old Winnipeg's good. Duckaroos are going to be in, uh, they're going to be in tough. Yes, they are. And hey, there's, I don't know. I want to get too much into Winnipeg, but I just, you well, know, all I, the stuff with Rick Bonus. Yeah, they see them three yep. times. So, like, at some point here, we are going to have to start talking about uh, the Winnipeg Jets a little bit more. Just all the stuff with Rick Bonus, Blake Wheeler. I just, I, I honestly, I'm happy for the Jets. I'm happy for the Jets, their fans, all well, 10,000 of them. Lost Kyle Connor. Yeah. And haven't skipped a beat. Yep. And the fact that Rick Bonus stepped away there for a while and that didn't have any sort of impact negatively or positively, but, you know, that can cause confusion and different voices mm-hmm. and whatever. And again, they just, cruised on yep. through and have absolutely good team. been on a heater here for a while it's a good team over there and the words of travis green that's a good team over there all right we'll close it out there jeff thanks so much for doing this yeah uh on friday so for my co-host jeff patterson and our technical producer grady sass our thanks again to frank saravalli for joining us on today's episode my name is dave Grigelli. thank you so much the listener for listening to another episode of the canucks conversation canucks conversation with Harmon and quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.